Yeah, and let's shift to today's scripture reading as we continue in the series of emotionally healthy spirituality. So today's verses are from Daniel uh, chapter 6, verse 6 through 10, and it reads, Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, and as he had done previously. This is the word of God. Good morning, everybody. So good seeing you guys. Before we go into our time in Daniel chapter 6, I just wanted us, our church, to to really be informed about what's happening in Afghanistan and really for us to start praying if you have not been praying for Afghanistan. And, you know, actually, if you, if you don't know, we've been in contact for several years now with a lady who does ministry with refugees from Middle East. Uh, and, you know, recently she reached out and she asked if actually we would have anyone that could tutor, any ladies that can actually tutor in one of these homes that's not too far from our church. Uh, but I'm going to be contacting her because I know she is sort of the go-to lady whenever the refugees come from Middle East. I'm going to be contacting her and to see if there's anything we can do as a community. And when we do hear back, can I count on you guys to not only be praying, but to really be the hands and feet? Because you, if you guys recently heard, there's about 300-some uh, people from Afghanistan that have landed here. And Korea has accepted them. And I'm sure this lady, Miss Chu, she's not in contact with them. So we're going to be in communication. Um, and let's just keep praying. Let's pray. You know, we, we're studying Old Testament. And we're studying the story of God's people really being removed from their home, being removed from their culture. story of Daniel, right? Being removed from their culture and, 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 and trying to establish new life. I mean, that's the story that, 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 that we love and we follow. And, and we should... As we walk through the story, we should remember people. They're actually real refugees. I know we complain about not having ACs. We complain about a lot of things in, in this city. But really, imagine, right? Like you would have to, you, you, one morning you wake up and you have to run. Take your family and, and not be able to take anything. And, and land in a new country with new food, new culture. And, 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 and try to live life. So let's let's be continuing to pray as God's people. Amen? All right. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, we are in the fourth and the final. Is, is Mike too loud? Is, 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 is it okay? Okay. I, okay, cool. We're in the fourth and the final message of our current sermon series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, today, we're going to be in Daniel 6. But before we jump into our passage, let me try to set the table for today's talk. You know, we've been leaning heavily in the, on this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by, past, by a pastor named Peter Scazzaro. And throughout this series, Pastor Peter has really given us a lot of great insights on what it means to be emotionally healthy. 
and, and, and one of the chapters in this whole book, Pastor, Pastor Peter spends a whole chapter uncovering the importance of creating healthy habits. Everybody say habits. It's a boring word, habits. I don't like habits. Um, but habits. And he says habits, creating healthy habits is essential to being emotionally healthy, emotionally healthy spiritually, right? Um, so really habits, that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, but this is what Pastor Peter says in the book that we've been following. He says, this, this is a quote, this idea of creating healthy habits is a call to order our entire life in such a way that the love of Christ comes before all else. And in doing so, the very quality of our lives hold the possibility of being transformed into a gift to our families, friends, co-workers, and communities. So habits is what is going to transform our lives into these wonderful gifts to people that, that we live around. Um, so as we begin, I want to begin by sort of debunking a, a popular belief when it comes to habits or human behavior. It's a commonly believed that our actions, human actions, are determined by what we think and believe. What we feel and think and actions follow whatever we think, we believe, right? Just like that image that I drew for you guys, right? Everything comes from our heart, our head, and our actions follow. But if that's true, but is that true? And if that's true, how do we explain the gap that exists in all of our lives? Gap between what you desire to do versus what you actually end up doing. That there are these gaps in many areas of our lives, right? The way how we want to spend our money. We, we, we budget, we plan. Well, some of us budget, some of us plan. Yet when we, at the end of the month, when we look at our books, we spent our money on ridiculous stuff. How we want to treat our parents. A lot of us are now kid adults. We've grown up. And we have some issues with the parents, right? I, I'll confess, my mom's coming soon, and I'm preparing my heart because, you know, when I think about my mom coming, I get real excited because part of me wants to see my mom. But there's another part of me that's scared because I know the little monster that comes out when I interact with my mom, right? I promise, I promise myself, I'm not going to yell at my mom. I'm going to be this good son. I'm going to be patient. And then as soon as she touches down and she says something about her house or something, I'm ready to fight, right? So, so there is this gap. How we actually want to eat as we think about, you know, maybe perhaps you want to lose 5, 10, 20 pounds. COVID weight is real. Um, then we turn around and order that delicious fried chicken from BBQ, right? BBQ wings, delicious, or grab that cart of ice cream from Ben and Jerry's, right? Instead of deciding and actually following up on the desire to eat healthy, we, 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 we eat unhealthy stuff. You know, I have many single friends, both men and women, that always tell me that they want to pursue a godly woman or godly men. They tell me, I mean, I want to meet somebody that's godly. I want to meet somebody that I could build a family, meet somebody that we could share, have conversation, who could be a great father or mother to my future, future children. Then they turn around and date people that are complete opposite of that description. Any of you guys had that happen to you guys? You have a friend who always seems to be in the wrong relationship, 
but they tell you they want to be in, in a godly, wholesome relationship. So we all live with this gap of what we desire to do versus what we actually end up doing. And this is precisely Paul's confession in Romans chapter 7, 15, when he says, I do not understand my own actions. Paul's being brutally honest. He says, I don't understand my actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. In verse 19, he says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And that's a very honest, raw truth. That not only Paul's struggles 2,000 some years ago, but we struggle today. I see it in our children. Like parenting will teach you a lot about human nature. And there are times, you know, my first daughter, I can only talk about her for a little bit because she's now aware and she understands, right? My first daughter, E, she's like awesome sister, awesome rule follower. But there are times where my number two, who's just like me, so my number one is just like Lois, number two is just like me. My number two is a bully. She's straight up bully. She would punch her sister, bite her sister. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I'm like, where'd you come from? You came from me. Um, she, I could, you know, when my, my second daughter pushes my first daughter to the edge, I could see her wanting to be a good sister, wanting to follow the rules, wanting to be approved by her mother and, and father. Yet, there's a time she does the very opposite of what, you, what she wants to do. But here's a more sobering reality, right? This gap that I've been talking about. As you grow older, hit your 30s, 40s, and 50s, this gap becomes even more daunting because eventually the gap no longer simply is what we desire to do versus what we end up doing. If you live in that mode for some time, the question becomes who we are versus who we want to be. Right? It's no longer what I do. It's about who we are versus who we want to be. So how do we deal with this gap that we all struggle with as humans? You see, contrary to popular belief, the formula that shapes who we become has less, less, to, less to do with what we love versus what we do. It's not so much what we love that shapes who we are, it's actually what we do, what we end up doing. Let me put it another way. It isn't what we love that shapes what we think or do. Instead, it's what we do that shapes what we love and ultimately who we become. I repeat, it's what we do that shapes what we love and ultimately who we become. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21 Jesus is challenging the crowd and the people, their understanding of storing up treasures. Jesus is talking about money and storing up treasures. And he says, store up treasures that will not be lost. And at the end of that conversation, he says something very interesting about our heart and treasure. Verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice he doesn't say, where your heart is, what you love, will follow, your treasure will follow what you love. What he says is actually what you store up, what you continue to pursue and love will eventually 
overtake your affection. It's the action of building our treasure that determines who we become. You see, people that love money will go great measures to make as much money as possible. Right? They'll con people. They'll do illegal things to make money. But you know what's interesting? As people spend all their energy on making more money, before they know it, they don't simply love what the money can get them. Because we love money because what money is able to get us. But eventually, as you spend all of your energy making more money, you fall in love with money itself. It's a cycle. It's not simply, oh, we love money because we can get, we can buy a nice car, we can provide for our family, we can send our kids to a nice school. No, after a while, it's about having more money. That's why these billionaires, they want more money. It's like you can't spend billion, I mean, you, you can spend billion dollars, but I'm telling you, if I gave you billion dollars, we wouldn't be able to spend billion dollars in a year. It'd be, it'd be crazy, right? But there's this desire. People's greed is unending. Because it's the cycle. The cycle of treasure building shapes our affection more than you and I realize. And over time, those practices become habits. And habits that we are not actually able to control. Habits that we are not actually in control over. Numerous research says between 40% to 90% of everything we do are shaped by our habits. Right? Different articles, different psychologists says different things, but between 40 to 90% of what we do are out of habits. Waking up, making coffee, getting ready for work, going to work, driving, brushing your teeth. All of these things that we do, all these things that you did this morning to come to church or be online, all these things are habits, not individual decisions. Like, think of, if you drive, think of the last time you got in the car, and you didn't even think about what you're doing, but you ended up in the place that you wanted to go to, right? Because your brain just going to autopilot. Think of your typical day, right? You wake up, you make coffee, you have breakfast, you put your clothes on, you go to school, you go to work, you go to the same lunch places, you go to the same coffee shop, all shape, shaped by habits, in fact, if you don't believe me, in fact, try to spend one hour, no, 30 minutes, right? Tomorrow morning, wake up. Try to spend 30 minutes being deliberate about every decision you make. The way you brush your teeth. You're like, I'm going to brush my left side 15 times, my right side 15 times. I'm going to go up and down 10 times, and I'm going to brush my tongue. I mean, imagine deliberately making that decision. What would happen? You'll just be exhausted. Our brain doesn't work that way. You'll be so tired, Psychologists call this adaptive unconsciousness. Adaptive unconsciousness. Our brain is always looking for ways to save energy. Right? So once habits are established, your brain actually shuts off. So what we do repeatedly not only becomes habits, over time, they are the main driving force that shapes not only what we do, but what we love. And eventually, who we become. Your calendar, your screen time report. If you're, if you're an iPhone user, every Sunday morning, don't you get a little report that shames you? You're like, you spent 40 minutes on YouTube yesterday. You know, you spent 
you know, hour and a half on Carrot Ave, right? Like, like that's sort of me. Um, it's embarrassing. I'm like, oh, turn this off. I don't, I don't want this notification. I don't want to know what I did. Um, your credit card statements. They tell you more about what you truly love versus what you actually think you do. Like, we're good liars. We, we, we lie well to ourselves, and we say we love these things. These things are important to me. These are principles that I was raised, and these are the principles that I'm going to live by. Yet when you look at your credit card statement, when you look at your screen time report, when you look at your calendar, they'll tell you more about what you actually love. That hurts. That hurts for me. It hurts for me. But the, so, so friends, it is, often it is our actions, our doing that shapes who we become. But the good news is that we are able to establish good habits. We are actually able to establish good habits. And, and when we are able to do that, our habits, contrary to what we believe about habits, habits don't limit us. Habits don't constrain our lives. It actually gives us freedom. It liberates who we are. Right? The ha- habits have the opposite impact of limiting us. It actually frees us up. Here's what I mean. It, whether it's learning how to box, like boxing, learning how to play the piano or, 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 or other type of mu- music or other type of sport, unless you create healthy habits, sound fundamentals, you won't be able to be free on the court. You won't be able to free in the boxing ring. You won't be able to free as you're playing on stage. Right? Great athletes and musicians uh, make the sport or their, their music beautiful. There is so much fluidity because they have good fundamentals, because they have built good habits, because they have good basics. If you don't believe me, right, this winter when the, the Lotte world opens up, go try go ice skating. Right? If you've never gone ice skating, when you go on, because you have no fundamentals, what you're going to look like is you're going to look like robots that were made in the 80s which is not good, right? First-timers, it's just going to be pain, anguish, and you're like, I, I do not want to do this, right? But if you see people, there's some people in the rink that have skated for years and years. They're just, they're loving it. They're just going, and I'm just like, okay, bye-bye. I'm not going to do that. But they're just loving it. because They're so free because they know how to skate. They know how skate works. They know how, all the fundamentals. So friends, habits shape us more than we think. Two, habits give us freedom. Good habits give us freedom. And that's the picture of a man named Daniel in Daniel chapter 6, a man with actually good habits. Here's the context of the book. We're going to quickly walk through chapter 6 in Daniel's story. Daniel is a Jew from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was captured, conquered by a King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And they carried off many impressive young Jewish men like Daniel and his friends, right? Daniel was a young man, right? Woke up one day as a teenager. He was captured, taken to a foreign land, cut off from his family, food, culture, language. Daniel and his friends were brought into the king's court and sent to the best schools of the land. And he studied a completely foreign way of looking at life and the world, And he learned about myths, astrology, sorcery, magic. Really, there was one thing 
that the Babylonians wanted to do was get rid of Daniel's distinctiveness as a Yahweh follower, right? They even forced him a Babylonian name. He wasn't, supposed to, he wasn't allowed to use his Jewish name. They gave him a Babylonian name. So how did, how did Daniel and his friends, young men, teenagers, remain committed to Yahweh and God's values? You see, Daniel, simply Daniel was a man of great discipline. Right? What, what Pastor Peter in the book of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality refers to as he had a good rule of life. Everyone say rule of life. In fact, Daniel whole, Daniel's whole day, as he scheduled his whole day, was shaped around his time and his connection with God. And he was also very intentional about what he consumed, what he watched, what he ate. He refrained from taking food from the king's table. And throughout the day, he connected with God through prayer and word. And so chapter 6, here's the context of chapter 6. The Babylonian officials become envious of Daniel's power and influence. Daniel is becoming a really powerful governor, becoming a really powerful politician. And they're just jealous. So they dig and dig and find nothing about Daniel's life. But they know one thing, that Daniel is a Yahweh worshiper. He's a Jew, he's a Yahweh worshiper. So they go to the king and say, sign this decree for a certain amount of time. We're going to only worship you and no one should be able to worship other foreign gods. So the king, without knowing, just signs the decree and the decree goes into effect and Daniel hears it. And in chapter, chapter, chapter 6, verse 10, Daniel finds out that it is now illegal to worship what does he do? He goes to his house. He looks towards Jerusalem with his windows open. He gets on his knees and prays just as he's done it before. He risks his position, his power, his influence, his life by remaining committed to Yahweh. And remember, this was not the first time Daniel experienced something really difficult. Daniel had faced something really hard and difficult throughout his time in Babylon, right? He faced many criticisms, accusations, even near-death experiences. Yet through, all, through it all, he never gave up, right? And one of the main reasons, when you read through the book of Daniel, one of the main reasons he was able to remain steadfast was, yes, Yahweh was steadfast. Yes, God was faithful. But also, Daniel had very clear plan. He was very intentional about his rule of life, his commitment to the basics. In the same way, friends, as we face hard, difficult seasons, unless we are intentional about creating our own versions of the rule of life, we're not going to be able to know how to move forward and face these challenges in a healthy way. We're going to come out of the other side all broken and hurt because we didn't have a game plan, right? And I say our own versions of rule of life because we are uniquely made. Like everybody dressed differently today. Right? We all wear shirts and pants, but we have different style. Some better than the others, but yes, we have style. We, we look different. We have, we have different temperament, different personality. So really... Yes, the goal is the same, but it is to be trans it, the goal is to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. Yet, how we get there will vary because we are different. We are uniquely made. On your personality, gift mix, temperament, temperament. 
So, so what Pastor Peter says in the book is, this is not a comprehensive list. He'll give a list, but this is a list of things that have been proven true over time through church history, right? And these are the areas that we need to be intentional. And Pastor Peter says we need to be intentional about our prayer, that, that in, includes the Word of God. We need to be intentional about rest. We need to be intentional about work. We need to be intentional about relationships. That's how he has categorized rule of life or the categories, the areas that we need to actually be intentional about. And each of these areas of our lives need to be thought through carefully and it needs to be planned. How are we connecting with God? How are we finding Sabbath? How are we inviting God into our workplaces? How are we developing healthy relationships? And, and again, developing your own rule of life, it's going to take time. It doesn't happen over a day or a week. It could take months. It could take years. You could try something. It doesn't work for you. You try something else. But here's a good starting point that I want to present to us as a community. If you believe King's Cross to be your church and me to be your pastor, I want to encourage you um, with what we just prayed, daily prayer project. You know, COVID has made it much harder for us to have a regular, uh, intimate, personal relationship with God. I mean, it could be an excuse, but, you know, COVID has made it really hard. If you're just watching online because of health reasons or because of reasons, you haven't been to church in two years, it's made it really difficult for us to find the right rhythm. So really, when Pastor John and I sat down, we said, okay, we need something that we can really encourage our people through. We need some kind of liturgy. Something that's practical, more than just encouraging and, and, and telling you guys, be in the word. We need something more practical, something that you guys can actually grab and see and feel and follow. So we, we, we did some research, Pastor John did some research, and we found daily prayer project. And this cover is intense. This lady, I don't know why. Usually it's not this intense, but ordinary times, not ordinary. But that lady is not ordinary. But anyway, um, every season, every church season, right? Lent, Advent, Epiphany. We're gonna, we have books that we've sus- subscribed to. And, and it's really, um, there are songs and prayers. There is a morning prayer, evening prayer. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you can see it, but really it's just there. There's a schedule on the left column every day. There's a scripture reading that you need to do. And you, it's just a way for you to be able to pray and connect with God. Um, there are hymns from Argentina, gospel songs out of inner cities in America, Asia, other parts of the world. The book offers wonderful liturgy that can help deepen our faith. Um, this is not the Bible. There are other wonderful tools, but this is a tool that we want to choose as a church and we want to try, at least for this next season. Uh, we have made digital, we have, we have made, we had printed copies. These are super nice printed copies. I don't know, Korea uses wonderful paper. We made 30, uh, so you could grab them as you leave. We also have digital copies. And actually, if you download it, you could download directly into your Kindle app. It's, it's wonderful, I do that. Uh, if you want digital copy, you can just talk to our sister Sandra or, or anybody in the back, talk to myself, and we can send you a digital copy. You should have it in your box. If you signed up as Church Suite, you should have it in your email box. It might be in your junk mail, but it should be there. But if you are new and you want to grab a digital copy, let us know. Uh, But we want to really encourage our community. Let's do this together. This is one area we can come together and say, let's 
Connect with God together as a community. Morning, midday, evening, songs, prayers, art pieces. Because again, it's not what you want. It's not what we want that determines who we become. It's our actions that will shape who we become. And it's these wonderful habits that will shape our affection. Let me wrap up our time by parking by, by partaking in one of the most wonderful disciplines that the Christ has given us. Anyone guess? Communion. If you have not received one, uh, raise your hand. Our brother Daniel will come. Communion. Throughout church history, communion has been the highlight of worship services. Did you guys know that? It, it's not sermon. It's not singing. It's not even scripture reading throughout church history. Communion has been the highlight of every service. I think over probably the last 100 years, maybe 200 years, sermon has become perhaps the most, we feel like it's the most important thing. No, communion is the most important thing. And it's been followed by every community since the birth of the church. And if you've been to our church before, you know that because we do it every week. You know we love communion. Last week my heart was broken because we ran out of these and we couldn't do communion. But communion is not unique. It's not flashy. It could seem mundane because we do it every week. Because it's something we do over and over again. Yet this is where we find strength, joy, and hope. Right? Friends, every time we come to the table, this is the thing that Jesus has made it very clear that we should be doing every time we gather as his people. And friends, every time we come to the table, we are being transformed. We come to the table with our worldly habits, but Jesus offers us something better. We come with habits of living life with this pressure and, and pressure to and desire to be self-sufficient. And Jesus says, it's my body and my blood that's sufficient for you. We come with habits of living life, with desires to win, earn, and gain for ourselves. Jesus says, the true victory that you desire is only found in me. And it's not earned, but received. We come with habits of exclusion and tribalism, tribalism. Jesus says, all are welcome. In fact, your titles and crowns, leave, be, leave them behind the door because they carry no real weight at my table. It doesn't matter what you have done or how you have lived, what you have not done and how you have not lived. Everybody's welcome. We come to the table often with self-centered faith. We say, Lord, we invite you. I and mean, we, we, sometimes we sing that or we've said that before. And, and the churches say that we invite you, Lord. But Lord's Supper is a sobering reminder that we're not inviting the Lord. We have been invited by the Lord. This is his table, his feast, his body, his blood. In fact, all of life, it's God's invitation for you to come, rest, play, work. And see his glory. Amen? Do you believe that? If you have not been to church for a year and a half, that's a one reason you should come, to take communion. 
You know, we started our time talking about this gap that exists in all of us. Gap between who I am versus who I want to be. How do we, so, so there are only two ways to deal with this gap. If you don't know Christ, there are only two ways to deal with this gap. Because people cannot live with the reality of this gap. People have to close this gap. Either people close the gap by lowering their expectation. But as we grow older, we slowly redefine our goals and our dreams. We slowly lower our expectation for life and we let dreams die. Change your, or change your dreams or set different goals and make them achievable. That's, sometimes that's how you close this gap. Or the other way is to move to the other side and really not accept the reality of who you are. Right? We deny things that are true about ourselves. We minimize and say things like, I'm not as bad. I'm not as annoying. I'm not as hard to work with. Yet only Jesus, only communion, only Jesus offers a middle road. Friends, this is the gospel. Jesus lived a life that we could not live. And he died the death that we deserve. And it's only through this victory over our sin and our death we can truly be who we were meant to be. The gap has been closed here. And that's what we're doing when we take communion. Amen? Let's take out our elements. This, friends, this is Jesus' body given for you. It is sufficient. It is enough. Let's take it together. This is Jesus' blood that's been poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us partake together in his blood. Jesus, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you for this middle road that we don't have to let our dreams die and we don't have to live in denial of who we are all because of what you have done, Jesus. Jesus, help us to realize when you say where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Holy Spirit, strengthen us to trust you, to reshape us, reshape our doing. And really, at the end of it, we come to the cross knowing our efforts are not good enough. We come to the cross because we have been welcomed. We love you. We thank you. Jesus, we pray. Amen.